Quagesima Sunday. It's a bit of a mouthful, but that's what today is in the church. That's what we are observing in this Sunday morning matin service, and it is the last Sunday of pre-Lent and all the Gesima Sundays. Welcome to the Christ the King podcast. I am Pastor Michael McGinley of Christ the King Lutheran Church here in Spencer, Iowa, and we are a congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And yes, it is Quinqua Gesima Sunday, which is Latin for, as you may have guessed, 50, because we are exactly 50 days away from Easter, if you count today, and we are only three days away from Ash Wednesday and the beginning of Lent, which means we are in the final days of preparing for that Lenten journey. Now, this Sunday continues to do what all the other pre-Lent Sundays did. It prepares us for the upcoming penitential season by reminding us how the kingdom of God works. And so far in the weeks past, we've heard it works by grace alone and by grace. By God's word alone. And this morning we'll hear that it works by faith alone. Not a faith that we build up in ourselves or create by ourselves or produce by ourselves, but a faith which is given to us by the word and a faith which has its eyes opened only by Christ alone so that it can see Christ alone. We'll hear about that in Luke chapter 18, which is our gospel text for today. We now begin our matin service with the opening hymn, Open Now Thy Gates of Beauty.
O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall shall forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praise to Thee, O Christ, King of eternal glory. Christ, for our sakes, hath endured temptation and suffering. O come, let us worship Him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. It is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Christ, for our sakes, hath endured temptation and suffering. O come, let us worship him. Be thou my strong rock, for an house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Be thou my strong rock, for an house of defense to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. The Old Testament Lesson for Quinquagesima Sunday, is written in the 16th chapter of the first book of the prophet Samuel, beginning at the first verse. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, 
the Bethlehemite. For I have provided a king for myself among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint to me him whom I name to you. Samuel did that which the Lord spoke, and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. When they had come, he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look at his face or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For I don't see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. He said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? He said, There remains yet the youngest. Behold, he is keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with a handsome face and good appearance. The Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the middle of his brothers. Then the Lord's Spirit came mightily on David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The epistle is written in the 13th chapter of the first epistle to the Corinthians, beginning at the first verse. Brothers, if I speak with the languages of men and angels, but don't have love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned, but don't have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient and is kind. Love doesn't envy and doesn't brag, is not proud, doesn't have itself inappropriately, doesn't seek its own way, is not provoked, takes no account of evil, 
doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will be done away with. Where there are various languages, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is complete has come, then that which is partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I felt as a child, I thought as a child. Now that I have become a man, I have put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I was also fully known. But now faith, hope, and love remain, these three. The greatest of these is love. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written through the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be completed. For he will be delivered up to the Gentiles, will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit on. They will scourge and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. They understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they didn't understand the things that were said. As he came near Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the road, begging. Hearing a multitude going by, he asked what this meant. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Standing still, Jesus commanded him to be brought to him. When he had come near, he asked him, What do you want me to do? He said, Lord, that I may see again. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, praised God. Here ends the gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. The Lord will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. 
and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Kingdom of God In these weeks of pre-Lent, we've heard how the Kingdom of God works by grace alone, by the Word alone, 
But on this last Sunday of pre-Lent, we encounter blindness, not just blindness of the beggar, but also the blindness of the disciples. Our gospel this morning starts in Jericho. Our Lord is with the twelve, surrounded by a Jewish throng as they begin a pilgrimage from Jericho to Jerusalem for the Passover. The pilgrimage here would have only been about 18 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem, although it's a climb. If you're making that that journey, you're going about half a mile up, making a half mile ascent from Jericho to Jerusalem. And that we read this story right before Ash Wednesday, it's no mistake. Because we're about to join Jesus and the throng on our Lenten journey. And our Lenten journey may only be 40 days, but it is a climb from Ash Wednesday to Golgotha and Easter. The Lenten journey is something that we do once a year. And so it was also for these Jews on this Passover pilgrimage. They did it once a year. It was their annual trek to Jerusalem. And because they did it every year, they knew what would happen. They'd get to Jerusalem. They'd buy an unblemished lamb once they got to the city. They'd slaughter it at twilight. They'd make sure that as they slaughter it, that not a single bone was broken. They'd pour out all the blood from the body and by doing so ensure that it was a complete sacrifice. They'd roast the lamb. Then at the dinner, they'd start it off by whoever the patriarch is. He would retell the story of the Exodus, the story where God miraculously delivered his people from slavery in Egypt through the waters into the promised land. And after the story had been told, they would all feast. They'd feast on the lamb and unleavened bread. They'd feast on the wine from the cup. They were making this pilgrimage to the Passover feast where they would partake of the Exodus. That's what that meal was, partaking of the Exodus. That's also what the twelve were expecting. But Jesus, somehow amongst this giant pilgrim throng, pulls the twelve aside and speaks to them alone. Now, if you remember a couple weeks back, Jesus did something similar. He took three of his disciples up on a mountain and he manifested his divine glory before them in the transfiguration. Remember that time. Remember on the transfiguration where we said that our Lord was showing the disciples the end at the beginning. He was showing us the end as we began just packing for our Lenten journey. He's doing that here again. Here before they begin their pilgrimage from Jericho, before we we begin our pilgrimage from Ash Wednesday, he is in a prophecy showing the twelve and us the end at the beginning. In this prophecy, which Jesus speaks, Christ is vivid in telling them how this Passover will be different. That this time, as they go to Jerusalem, he'll be delivered over to the Gentiles, to Pontius Pilate. 
that this time he will be mocked, insulted, blasphemed, spit upon. This time he will be flogged and killed and then rise again three days later. Look at the language our Lord uses here in this gospel. He couldn't paint a more detailed picture of what was going to happen to him in this prophecy. But the disciples can't see it. Luke says they understood none of these things. They did not grasp what was said. In other words, the disciples were completely blind. Which is interesting, because on the one hand, as they go to the Passover, they have this image in their heads of the Passover lamb, which they saw every year. And on the other hand, they have this, this image of Christ's prophecy of him being insulted, blasphemed, flogged, killed. They have these two images, and they can't put them together. They can't see. They are helpless to see what Christ is saying. And why is that? Well, they're blind to what Christ is saying. They can't see it or comprehend it because this isn't how the world works. The world doesn't work by grace. You have to earn it, deserve it. The world doesn't work by merely speaking a few words. You have to find it in yourself to produce. Along with that, the world isn't won by being mocked, insulted, spit on, or flogged. Instead, in the world, <laughs> those sort of things make one an outcast. Those sort of things make a person make of a person someone that people don't want to look at, don't want to think about, don't want to be around. They don't want to share in that shame. The way the world works made the disciples blind to what Jesus was saying, and it can make us blind as well. Consider, when Jack the Baker over in Colorado was sued for not using his artistic abilities for what he thought was sinful, and was being mocked up and down in the press, did you say a prayer for our Christian brother? Or did you try to avoid talking about him at all costs? When Baronel, the florist in Washington State, was sued for the same reason and was insulted, was insulted by many for being, quote, a bigot, did you say a prayer for our Christian sister? Or did you just merely shake your head at her and say that she should have acted against her conscience? Out of some form of false love and piety. When a brother or sister in Christ is going through a grueling divorce that, quite frankly, they didn't want, do we avoid them? Or do we reach out to try to help them? Do we try to help the single pregnant woman, believing that all life has worth? Or do we shake our head at her shame while proclaiming that we're pro-life? Do we hear of the persecution of Christians in countries far away from ours and pray for them, or do we try to shove that news out of our mind so we don't think of it, so we don't think of the terror that they live, that they go through? How often does our flesh want to pull us 
to only see their shame in the eyes of the world and just walk away from all of them. No, the world doesn't work that way. Nor is the world won by being killed. The world sees in death only shame. Actually, in the face of death, the world and our flesh desire to be completely blind. After all, why focus on the body in the casket when the world can have a celebration of life party? Not to celebrate the life to come for that person, but celebrating the life that is gone. Why come to church for the funeral of the member that you barely knew when we can instead avoid the funeral altogether and avoid any thoughts of the grave? Why look at the six-foot pit when our flesh could be willingly blind to it? Why stand by the outcasts, especially the outcasts of the church, when we could be seen as so much more to the world if we just stepped away. So then the disciples were blind to Jesus' prophecy, and we very often are blind to see the holiness of God in the shame of others. Which is how those in the throng around Christ, that's how they treated the blind man (laughs) in the same way. When those in the throng heard the blind man ask what was going on, they didn't answer him right away. They didn't care if he was a fellow Jew. They didn't care what he thought of Christ. All they saw was a man brought to shame by blindness and poverty. A man who could do nothing for the world or for them. They saw a man that would only bring them to shame if they were associated with him. They saw him only as one to be ignored, like the outcast he was, so he didn't bring shame to them. They were blind toward the blind man. Yet the blind man, he asks once, doesn't get an answer, so he asks over and over and over again, and finally, with enough asking, someone finally tells this man what the huge crowd was all about, what the ruckus was all about, that it's because Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And when he heard this, the blind man shouted as loud as he could over and over again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. With those eight words, the blind man shows us that he sees better than anyone else there. Because he is a man who has had the word sown in his repentant heart. And among the good soil of that repentant heart, here among the crowds as he shouts, we see the word produce its works. Notice how the blind man is told by those in front of the crowd to be silent. See how in their blindness they tell the faith implanted in this man to just shut up so they wouldn't have to look at him or think about him or be around him. But also notice how the word in faith flowers to produce one hundredfold. 
as he cries out even louder among a world wanting him to be quiet and die, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on me. Faith refuses to look away from that which it clings to. Jesus then does what none of the world would do, what none of the crowd would do. He stops. He doesn't tell the blind man to earn his way to him. Instead, he commands his servants to bring the blind man to him. And when the blind man is asked by Jesus what he wants, see how he doesn't demand from Jesus. He doesn't tell Jesus how difficult his life was and how he deserves a miracle because of it. He doesn't tell Jesus how hard he's worked in the vineyard and the wage he expects and demands. There's none of that. Instead, this man asks for a wage of mercy. He asks for a wage given in Christ's grace that the Lord would graciously give him sight, not based on any works of his, not based on his merit or reputation, but because by faith alone he clings to our Lord's grace and mercy. What Jesus does here, what the faith of the man asks for here, this isn't how the world works. But this is how the kingdom of God works. By faith alone. Faith given by the word sown in your heart, which clings to our Lord who was born in humility to Mary, who didn't command you to come up to heaven to serve him, but came down to earth to serve you. Faith which clings to the suffering and passion of our Lord, who in the flesh was handed over to the Gentiles just as his flesh at the altar is handed over to you where your hands of faith cling to him. Christ, who in the flesh was mocked and insulted just as he is here in the flesh among us, praised by faith in the music of our voices. Christ, who in the flesh was spit upon, just as he is in the flesh partaken of by our mouths of faith. Christ, who in the flesh was flogged and whipped so that his blood poured out of him, just as he is in the flesh here at church, his blood poured out on us in baptism, so that in faith we may put on his righteousness. In the ways of the world, Christ's passion and suffering, their foolishness. His death only shameful. But in the kingdom of God, we're given the eyes of faith. We're given eyes of faith to see just as the blind man was given sight to see. So that we see not a dead fool on the cross, but we see on the the altar of the cross our Passover lamb. 
We see on the cross, he who was without spot or blemish, he who did not have a single bone broken, he who poured out all of his blood to complete the sacrifice for our sin so that we may partake of this sacrifice, this exodus from slavery to sin to life eternal. We may partake of that sacrifice at this altar. Because he has given us our eyes of faith to see. According to Luke, what Jesus prophesied of his passion was hidden from the disciples. It was hidden from them. Meaning the Father in heaven hid what all this prophecy meant. He hid it from the disciples so that they could not see. So that blind, they could not give praise to God for it because they didn't understand it. They couldn't understand it on their own. Their own reason couldn't grasp it because the kingdom of God does not work by our reason. Instead, the kingdom of God works by grace alone, by the word alone, by faith alone. And it it is Christ alone who opened the eyes of faith for us, just as he did for the blind man. And he opened the eyes of faith on Easter morning, when the Father no longer hides this from the disciples, but on Easter morning where Christ reveals all of this to them in the glory of his resurrection. Because when the eleven see him raised, when their eyes are open. That's when they glorify him and praise him, finally being able to see with the eyes of faith. On Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, we begin the 40-day pilgrimage to Jerusalem and the cross. We'll do so with ashes on our heads and litanies of repentance on our lips. But we don't do so blindly. Because Jesus here has shown us the destination. He's shown us the end at the beginning of this journey. We know where we're headed. We embark with our eyes of faith being opened in baptism as we see all that Christ has done through for us through the lens of Easter morning. Knowing then that the kingdom of God works by grace alone, the word alone, faith alone, Christ alone, where we will sing praises to the glory of God alone. Well, (laughs) I hope you're packed and ready. We've seen the end. We know where we're going. And this Wednesday, we leave with the blind man to glorify and praise God all the way to Golgotha. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We continue with the Tadeum.
Yes. 
we continue with the prayer, beginning with the Kyrie. O Lord, have mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. We pray the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We are bold to pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise, and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me, O God, a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Vouchsafe, O Lord, this day, to keep us without sin. O Lord, have mercy upon us, have mercy upon us. O Lord, let thy mercy be upon us, as our trust is in thee. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. O Lord, we beseech you, mercifully hear our prayers, and having set us free from the bonds of sin, defend us from all evil. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen.
Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our Governor, and the Legislature of this State, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for all those that we name in our hearts at this time. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishments, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work, and when our last hour shall come. Support us by your power, and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, might be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and souls and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
wherever you are listening from, whether near or far, we are glad to have had you with us this morning. And we also pray that the word and preaching you heard this morning continues to bless you throughout this week. Now, a reminder, especially for those in or around Spencer, on Ash Wednesday, which is this Wednesday, just three days away, we at Christ the King will be offering the distribution of ashes throughout the day at three different times, 7 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. So if you would like to receive uh, the distribution of ashes early in the day or sometime in the, mid- in the midday, please come and join us. And if you, if you would like to let us know you will be there, there is an electronic sign-up on our Facebook page. If you could let us know, it just helps me kind of get the numbers and know how much I need to have prepared. Now, on Ash Wednesday, we will also have a divine service at 6.30 p.m. as we begin our Lenten journey. And if you're around, we'd love to have you with us. The weather should be (laughs) quite a bit warmer by then, which I guess isn't saying a whole lot. But still, we'd love to have you join us if you are able to make it. Of course, if you can't join us because of distance, the pandemic, health, or just this freezing cold... We will be back on Wednesday night with a Vespers Service podcast, which will have the readings and the sermon from from that Ash Wednesday service. So we will see you then. All of our music for this podcast comes from smallchurchmusic.com. We encourage all of our listeners to look us up on Facebook under Christ the King Lutheran Church in Spencer or at CTK Spencer. If you enjoyed this service, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, tell a friend, or leave a review wherever you listened. If you would like to be on our mailing list for these podcasts or would like to leave feedback, you can contact us on Facebook or at the email addresses at the top of the bulletin, which is included in a link with this podcast. That's all for this week. Until next time, go forth and serve the Lord. I am Pastor Michael McGinley, signing off.